But we are starting a new series today, and it's just a four-part series looking at some of these big concepts of the gospel. And it's called Good News for the Weary Soul, not because we think everyone's weary. But how many of you started the year like you've got all your plans, you've got your body transformation program ready, you are eating vegetables, morning, lunch, and dinner. I mean, you just got all, and by day two of all of that, you're just tired. I'm <laughs> just tired. I'm like, ah. I, I mean, there's wars going on. You don't know. Can you say this? Can you not say this? Who can you speak to about this? Can you like something? Because you don't know. It's tiring. Our world is tiring. Whether you're doing well and advancing in life or things are a bit tough, things are tiring. Can you, you know, can you support this team or not that team? Do you shout for this? I mean, economics, these guys, you just don't know. Someone the other day said, like, I'm just so tired. I said, what are you tired? now? I'm tired of following cryptocurrency. I said, that will tie you out, buddy. I promise you're going to get tired. You need Jesus. It's, uh, and, and, and it's just, it's up and down, and, and the dollar's up, and the rand's down, and you just, I'm just trying to present the world that we live in. And I'm telling you the only thing that sustains, the only thing that is constant, no matter who's on the thrones and the pulpits and the, and the president's seats, is the good news of Jesus Christ. What we refer to often as we preach and as we speak called the gospel. The story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and the power that doesn't just come in to adjust our lives. You need a little bit of an adjustment. You need some gospel. No, it comes to change everything. It changes everything. It changes the reason we get up in the morning. It changes the reason we breathe with gusto. Even though there are difficult things on the horizon, we have hope. We have hope. Why? Because of Jesus. That when we face difficult, and one of my friends has faced a difficult situation at work this week and encountered a thing that just shouldn't happen, but it's Jesus that anchors. It's Jesus that secures. It's not just the narrative of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel in our lives. That is not just for the first person who walked into church. And I've sat in church meetings with guys like, you know what, guys? It's a big Sunday. It's Visitor Sunday. We need to preach the gospel. No, we need to preach the gospel every Sunday, every moment. My heart needs the gospel every second, every hour, every day, every circumstance, whether I'm good, whether I'm tired, whether t tough things are going on. Because the only thing that settles us when we get unsettled, the only thing that comes on, it's all about Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. Not about a better religion. I've got no interest in being better than anyone. I've just got Jesus. And we wanted to take a couple of weeks at the start of this year to speak about some big concepts, big ideas, and big words that get used in church sometimes. Like justification. Ha! Propitiation. Ha! Redemption. It's like you feel like you need to do a dance as you say it, but these are... These are big words that often we leave to the side and we kind of throw in sometimes, but they're so essential to anchoring the believer. And, and I've got to be honest, as I've sat with people, some have been saved for many, many years, I've realized there's often in all of us, we all have gaps and we all have blind spots, but often in our theologies, there's a, a gap in an area because of a movement we've come from, an emphasis we've had, and sometimes that gap causes insecurity in believers where there shouldn't be insecurity. I'm telling you now, church, believers should be the least insecure people in the world. Why? Because what a friend we have in Jesus. 
And maybe not every one of your prayers or desires on this side of eternity has been satisfied. I promise you, every prayer or desire you could ever have for the other side of eternity has been completely satisfied. And we live with an eternal perspective on our hearts which should anchor us on this side of eternity. It should settle our souls. It should bring peace where there's a lack of peace and courage where there's a lack of courage. Welcome to the gospel. I am nowhere in my notes, but we're going to go for it anyway. So we're going to jump into Romans because Dave decided to read Romans chapter 5, and that's what I'm preaching on this morning. And I just want to put a little caveat out there. It took Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones eight years, 366 preachers to preach the book of Romans. You would be gone by the end of preach 366. I'm just telling you. (laughs) You don't want me to hear me preach about Romans 366 times. But the power, the depth, and the the depths that we can go to as we navigate the word has got to be challenged and charged. And so as we jump in something, this book that is written to the Roman people where there's a battle, he's just presenting up front the truths of the gospel. Not the how-to's. Not the what it looks like, not just the mandates of what that looks like, because we often, so often get stuck there and we get, we get disabled in our mission because we don't understand the how or the why. It's really essential that we get the gospel. How you guys doing up there? You right? It's wonderful to see you. Sometimes I realize I look down here, and to be honest, I've got a sore neck on this side, so if I don't look at you guys, it's nothing personal. Just can't look that way right now. You don't want to drive on the left of me at the moment either. I can't. I just didn't see you, sorry. Romans chapter 5, come on. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, just stop there. There's about three years of preaching right there. We have peace. We have it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through your your things you did well or the things you did poorly. Purely through Jesus through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We aren't crawling, we are standing before the living God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, how much more have we been reconciled? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his love? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus, we come this morning. Even as we sang this morning, Lord, we, we love singing songs about you and the worship, and, and we'll always sing exaltation and praise, but sometimes we've just got to be reminded of who you are, that you are our friend, that you are the Savior seated on your throne. I pray this morning, as we come to your word, the word of God would speak. 
the word of God would minister. The word of God would cut deeper. To any pain of this world, the word of God can get deeper. And uproot that pain and bring healing and wholeness. To any insecurity that runs deep, deep, deep down. I pray let your word go this morning. We thank you, God. R.C. Sproul, he challenged and he was teaching. He's just an incredible preacher. And, and he asked this question. And it's a question that's kind of your standard question to ask. It says, if you were to die tonight, and God were to say to you, now I don't think it quite happens like that personally. I don't think that's how it's going to happen. But it's a good provocation. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Your answer, as honest as it might be, as in your own language it might be, is very insightful to what you actually believe. I'm not going to ask anyone to answer it, but, but your answer to that question, you know, the, I don't know if you did church in the 90s, but in the 90s, apparently there was always a bus going past church because it was always that statement, what if you left church and got hit by a bus? I got asked that like 30,000 times. Like, how many buses are passing this church? I was so scared of buses. I would stand around like, there's a bus. Every evangelist who came to church threatened me with a bus. But it's a good question to distill what you actually believe. Because at the end of the day, we are believers. We're not doers. We are the believers of Jesus Christ. Which means you've got to think. Which means you've got to process. Which means you've got to believe what you believe. Because it'll manifest. And you become what you believe. And so many answers might come. It's because I've been a good person. I've tried my best because I, I, I was told if I just make a choice or, or maybe it's just if I, if I get to and I just beg for forgiveness enough, I'll get into heaven. I'm not sure what you believe because I'm telling you right now in the church manifested by the many decisions and actions and different choices within the global church, there are many different beliefs to this. And as we preach the gospel, I want to remind us that on this thing of the doctrine, a, a closed-handed, not an open-handed, you choose what you want, something of a closed-handed truth of the gospel, the doctrine of justification, R.C. Sport presented that it's what the church rises or falls on. Battles were fought. The whole Reformation and the Protestant, have you heard of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther? Yeah, this massive schism between Catholicism and the, the, those that would come, the Protestants. You're a Protestant, by the way. If, just letting you know. You're, you protested against this idea, this notion that it was Jesus plus my works. You protested against that. You believe in a protestation that it's this idea that it's Jesus is so good, but as long as I'm really good. And the problem, we've reinforced that in our kids. I know, because I've done it. If you're really good, I will bless you. If you do really well in your tests, or if you don't, you go to someone's house, if you don't misbehave tonight, I promise you, you can get that sweet tomorrow. It's like, <laughs> pastors, kids. <laughs> but the problem is, we're teaching them, and we've learned that if we're really good, we will be really blessed, and the two work hand in hand. And the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says, just by Jesus, faith in Jesus alone. And it's really hard to understand because every single person is a recovering legalist. Every single one of us. 
And some have different portions, and I can see it in my three kids. The one's like, oh, but he had half a biscuit yesterday. I'm just, oh, give me half a biscuit. He'll start asking for six, but then he'll settle on half because his brother got. It's like we, we're so up for justice that we struggle to even receive grace. So we've got to talk about these big concepts of the gospel and the essence of the gospel there, these popular views of the gospel. First, that it's this works and justification that works. We've got to understand justification there, these scales of justice that have got to be settled. Or there's even just this real bad theology, this universalism, this doctrine of justification by death that when I die, I go to heaven and we go to funerals and people who've never worshipped Jesus, never made a decision to praise Jesus, never even come close to Jesus, now getting declared saved by Jesus. And I don't stand up and protest in those moments, but in my heart, I'm grieving because I'm sorry, did no one tell them? Why are we declaring that over them now? It cannot do anything now. Death doesn't fix things. So what is justification? Well, to justify, most of us know what justification is because we're really good at self-justification. So the speed cop stops you and he says, well, why did you run that red robot? Well, sir, it's an incredible story. You will be on my side when I'm finished telling this story. I promise you. And we do that with other people, but, but without even speaking, we do it with ourselves all the time. It doesn't necessarily change what happened. It doesn't necessarily at all change what actually happened, but it changes the perspective on what happens when we justify something. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, why did you eat that third biscuit, son? Oh, Dad, I've had a day. <laughs> you don't know the English teacher I got this week at school. And, and by the end of it, as a dad, you're going, oh, yeah, have the fourth one as well. It's like it justifies. And now we're good with ourselves to do that. But now we've got to come to the gospel and the doctrine, the truth of justification about Jesus. And I'm telling you, most people struggle to receive or accept it. Why? Because it means you can actually do nothing. Nothing. It means that, that, that in becoming a Christian, you don't become a Christian just by being changed and all of a sudden sounding like one. No, at the very essence, you become a Christian no longer because of what you've done, because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago on that cross and the way the Father views you. That's what changes the perspective of God, and it has to affect the perspective of self as well. It's this righteousness we receive, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Jesus has done. We could never achieve it. Never. Your greatest efforts. And, and, and I, I sat with, a, with an Orthodox Jewish man the other day who lives under these 600 laws that are upon his life. He goes, I could never, ever fulfill all of them. I'm going, I know, you can't. Yeah. First great revelation. That's why Jesus died. Luther put it this way, Martin Luther. The troubled conscience has no cure for its desperation. And feeling of unworthiness, unless it takes hold of the forgiveness of sins by grace, offered free of charge in Jesus Christ, which is this passive or Christian righteousness. Once you are in Christ, 
The law is the greatest guide for your life. But until you have Christian righteousness, all the law can do is show you how sinful and condemned you are. But if we first receive Christian righteousness, then we can use the law, not for our salvation, but for his honor and glory and to lovingly show our gratitude. It's not this righteousness produced, it is a passive righteousness received. Ephesians 1 puts it this way, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I have been one by the blood of Jesus. I have been one. All my stains and all my brokenness washed clean and he chose me and he chose to die and pour his robe of righteousness upon me because of his blood that never fails. And as hard as that is to believe and as most people think it's fantastical and beyond possibility that someone else could die for your sins, that is the heavenly transaction that has taken place when you receive the gospel. It's a perspective issue. First of all, God's perspective. It says this in Romans 15, consequently, just as a result of one transpass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So that's the sin of Adam. And the sin of Adam poured us and pulled us into a generational brokenness that I get born a sinner. I never need, no one needed to, Teach me how to sin. I've been very good of it for a long time. Please, you don't need to say amen. That's just, thank you for not. Yeah. I, I was born good at it. And your glorious, beautiful child who's three weeks old, they've got it. Why? Because of Adam. You can't change that. Says, yeah. For through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. There was a transaction that had to take place because we couldn't do it. And we were born sinners and brokenness, and every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God says what I needed to do is I needed to reverse that transaction with a sinless life. And so the mission of God pulls into action and the son says, let me go. The father sends the son and the cross happens so that the blood of a sinless man, a sacrifice, a scapegoat could pour out so that you and I, who have never been and never will be sinless. Let's just have that quick conversation. The Bible says we all sin and fall short. All of us. Now, it doesn't justify willful ongoing sin. No, the gospel, and that's a process of sanctification, another one of those big Bible words. That's a process of the Bible and the gospel and the truth getting in our lives and us wanting to live for Jesus. But I've seen people arrested, but I gave my life to Jesus yesterday and I still shouted at someone in the traffic today. It's okay. Because it's not about how you see if it's how the Father sees you. And when he's looking at you, he doesn't see you shouting at the person you have. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And so it's got to take the insecurity of, oh, I messed up today. Will God still love me? Rubbish. It's got nothing to do with you. It never has. It's completely Jesus. And so it doesn't pull us into a place of arrogance. It does the complete opposite. It pulls me into humility before God. It pulls me into gratitude. 
It pulls me back to a reminder of how glorious the gospel is. Not some antiquated story that the generations before declared, but the truth that comes deep into my soul and uproots every insecurity that the enemy wants to remind me of. It's got to come into the teenager who's struggling with their identities and the challenge and the fact that they still drop the ball along the way and the scrupulous ideas that come inside and they pull it apart. It's got to come in there. It's got to bring a settling because it's not about how good you are. It's never been about how good you are. It's always been about how good he is and what his blood could achieve. There's so many scriptures read Galatians 2, and, and, and the Apostle Paul speaks. He says, For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's this life that lives within me that pulls me, and I want to tell you, it's never been your initiation. You know that, that classic old story in relationship, well, who's going to initiate? Oh, do Hi. I want to tell you, God initiated it on the cross 2,000 years ago. Because of love, he sent his son. Boom, initiation done. God said, I'm coming after you, and I'm never going to stop. And I've paid the price because I came after you first. And so if you're struggling with the idea that God can be your friend, go read John 3.16. Fall on your knees before the living God. Say, God, show me what it is to be loved by God who poured his blood out for me. I'm just trying to blow your minds again by the gospel because sometimes we make it small and sometimes we try to make it manageable because we can just do this compartmentalized part of it and I'm telling you, it steals all the joy and then you've got white-knuckled Christians holding on. If I just hold on long enough, if I just keep holding on in this battle, in the area of sexuality, in the area of this, if I just keep white-knuckling it, I promise you it ends in failure every time. But if I end in surrender... If I land in surrender and trust, then the doctrine of justification where Christ's blood made a way where mine could not and he has reckoned and reconciled me. These are accounting words. There's an accounting to this. There, were, there was debt you could never pay. Now you don't need to study accounts to know debt. It's heavy. It, 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 it doesn't stay the same. It gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And you'll try harder and harder to carry it. Jesus said, I've reckoned your debt and I haven't just taken you back into equal. And that's where most people think, oh, the gospel's so good. It's just pulled me back into a place of neutrality. I'm just neutral with God. So you know what you do again? You start trying really hard. Because I've got to get into the good books. I've got to get into credit. And yet Paul refers to it, and we see it early in the days of Abraham, that he was credited with righteousness. We are pulled into credit with God because of the blood of Jesus. We start in credit. Every day you wake up. Don't wake up going, I don't want to mess up this day. And I know some of you do. And at the end of the day, at the essence, the challenge is what you believe is God is good enough to get me back to naught, but not good enough to get me going forward. And he's called you to a life of abundance. He's called you to a life of victory. You only can live a life of victory when your launch pad is his victory. Everyone all right? Uh, there was so much I totally over-prepared for today. 
Just letting you know. Just Again, let's go to Martin Luther. For this righteousness comes by doing nothing. I'm telling you Martin Luther because you have to believe him. He's like a clever guy. <laughs> by doing nothing, hearing nothing, knowing nothing, but rather in knowing and believing this only, that Christ has gone to the right hand of the Father, not to become our judge, but to become for us wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our salvation. Now God sees no sin in us, for in this heavenly righteousness, sin has no place. And yet the challenge is, Romans tells us, we still fall short and we still sin. Yet as God sees us, it's a perspective issue. It's not denying that we have to fight sin. It's not denying that we have to defeat sinful desires in our lives that we all have. We all have. I sat with someone recently and they were kind of suggesting that maybe, just maybe, I didn't have sinful desires going on. That's how I can get up and preach. Like, my brother, let me help you out. You don't know how naughty I am. I was born very naughty. It, it, it took a lot of teenage years in reluctantly being at prayer meetings going, Jesus, I know you're real, but jeez, I want to cause chaos. And years... And yet there are still sinful desires that well up all the time. Just so you know, just so we're on honest grounds. And yet, I've spent 30 years in the same Bible that tells me only by Jesus, only because of Jesus. It doesn't pull me to go, laissez-faire, let it be. No, it draws me to want to live for him. And it's got to allow the... I've got to allow the gospel to get into the valleys of my life, to lift them up. Why? So that he can get all the glory. And I've got to allow the gospel to get in my life, to bring the mountains down. Why? So that he can get all the glory. And at the end of the day, when I spend eternity, which is going to be far longer than 60, 70 years on this earth, 80 years, or 100 if I eat my vegetables, <laughs> eternity is still going to make it seem like nothing. Nothing. Again, the Bible. So here's the battle. The battle is, like I mentioned earlier, we are all still recovering legalists. Maybe you don't know what a legalist is. Well, you don't need to be taught how to be one. That's right and this is wrong. It doesn't matter where you got your scales from. It doesn't matter how your perspectives were developed. We all have this right and wrong legal understanding. Why? Because the world shouted at us because we've been taught it in schools, we taught it by any governmental authority in our lives, and we naturally default to it. So the problem is we come to Jesus and he says, I take all of that off you. I see you as righteous. We go, oh, oh, oh. Stop right there. And that's got to stop. It's got to stop. I want to tell you and I'm just literally throwing truths at you because I don't have time to do the rest. But we don't repent for justification. We repent from justification. When I repent, it's not me accepting that God has done it all so I don't have to. No, when I repent, it's me receiving the grace that allows me from a place of forgiveness to jump into his presence and arms because the account's already been settled. And that might, you might struggle with that. And it's the accusation, oh, Christians are hypocrites. Yes! Why? Because Romans 3 tells us we've all fallen short and we continue to fall short, but we keep running back to the grace that is ours. The mark of a believer is not the fact that we are perfect. No, Jesus is perfect and I get his perfect righteousness. And when the Father looks at me, I'm this imposter covered by perfection. 
I'm, I'm an imposter. Just so you know. I'm an imposter. Why? Because not a single person has ever walked this earth, no matter who you think, and you might want to throw names at me, who's walked this earth, not a single one has not coveted, lusted, got angry, not one except for Jesus. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb pours out, and because of that, and so we've got to stop living this karma and this yin-yang Christianity where it's, it's, it's if I'm bad, ooh, no rubbish. If I'm bad, Oh, I'm coming back to your presence, God. Because, go, let me tell you how bad I've been. He says, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. And I promise you, in my life, I've struggled much with this. As you navigate teenage emotions, desires, and, 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 and young adult desires, and all these things in the stages of life, there are different passions and desires that well up in all of us. I want to tell you, it's okay. But the only way you'll get through it free of insecurity and bondage is by believing the Bible that says this, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. It's only ever been the blood of Jesus. Justification or reckoning us, an accounting process, reckoning us righteous in God's sight through faith is not the same as sanctification. And we'll talk about sanctification. The, the sanctification is the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives to walk this life out and to become more and more like Jesus. But that's a long road. And you've got to allow yourself to see yourself like He sees you. Otherwise, the road will become too long, become heavy, and we'll start living like white-knuckled Christians, holding on. Martin Luther, again, a clever guy. Simul justus justus. Et peccator. I probably properly messed that up. <laughs> By the way, there was another language. <laughs> Just if you, if you were confused there for a second. <laughs> Somebody like, yo, he messed that up. Uh, it means righteous and at the same time a sinner. Can you handle it? Can you? Do you want to, oh, Mark, let me teach you about 1 John. Oh, let's go to 1 John and let's run the bases. Let me teach you about sonship. And let me take you to the Father. And let me take you to the truth that although I struggle and fall like everyone else along the way, it's what I do with that and how I respond. And my belief about the security I have in the salvation that has been won for me, that my worst day cannot affect. And I understand that it's scandalous when you're trying to do the maths and the metrics. It will never add up. Welcome to supernatural grace. Welcome to a supernatural gospel that on the scales of this side of eternity will never add up. I am who I am becoming. As one lecturer taught me years ago. I am righteous in the sight of God. And I'm on a journey to becoming more and more that person every day. I am set apart, made holy by his blood. That's what the gospel says. But I'm also on a journey. And here's the thing. If you don't get grace, you won't have grace for yourself on the journey. So you definitely won't have grace for others. We've got to go on those journeys. ESV puts it this way in Hebrews 10. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let me read that one more time. For by a single offering, Jesus on the cross 
He has perfected for all time. Oh, but not that time. No, all time. All time. Even the two in the morning times or the four o'clock day times when you're struggling. For all time, those who are being sanctified. And I've got a boy who's quite big on justice. And he's struggling to get this concept of this artist that we love listening to who, who threw a swear word in the song that he sang. And this young, he's like, Dad, he can't be a Christian. He swore in his song. I'm like, let me try to teach you about grace. Let me teach you about the journey later on. And I'm not justifying the action. I'm just calling him justified if he believes in Jesus. And it's not your job to determine the rest. It's your job to pour out grace. I am who I'm becoming. I've got way too many other notes, so I don't know where to go. Here's what I want to talk to you about as we land. The gospel. I believe in the gospel. It's the power for the broken. I've seen the gospel lift up the most broken people. I've seen the gospel heal dying bodies. At the center of the gospel is a love. And a lover and a friend and a one who laid his life down, his name's Jesus. So I want to speak to believers this morning. And maybe you've been a believer for many years, but I'm telling you, you've probably also been a legalist for many, many years. Why? Because every heart defaults to it. And you want to look and you want to weigh up the sums, but you forget what you've received. And I do it all the time. And I want to hold on to truth sometimes more than I hold on to grace. And Jesus said, you don't get one or the other. You get both. It's me. So as we come before the doctrines and these doctrines of redemption, the price that has been paid, 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 paid. Your lowest day, paid. Your greatest debt, paid. Welcome to the gospel. It's going to sound scandalous. You're going to want to walk away and say, oh, but what about that guy? What about that guy? What about the guy who just got out of prison for murder and he's walked into your church? What about that guy? Paid. Because if you don't believe that, you're always going to be insecure about your own salvation. Every day of your life. Every moment you fail and struggle. Every time. Paid. So church, believers, it demands grace that we would get it. It demands the truth that we would hold it. And it demands a security to come into our souls so that we aren't so easily unseated by the shakings of the world. Why? Jesus. Not your ability to do the life that's expected of you. And I'm watching my three sons grow up in my home, the home of a pastor. And I trust, as I fought to keep the weight of that thing off them, I can see it come on at them sometimes, and it kills me. And the only prayer I can pray isn't that they get their heads around it. The only prayer I can pray is let Jesus become brighter. Let Jesus become everything in their lives. Let Jesus shine brighter, be their savior, their lover, and their friend. Because they're going to fail. 
One of my boys failed last year, big time. I didn't need to remind him. I didn't need to tell him. I could see it on him every minute, every hour, every moment, eating him up inside. And I'm telling you, unless you believe in the doctrines and the truth the gospel presents, you will do the same to yourself. Receive the grace that is yours. And if you're in the room this morning and you're wondering who this Jesus is and this gospel story you've heard, I just want to tell you he loves you. I just want to tell you the gospel says you can't do it. And you're going to try. You're going to have your good days. I'm going to do it. It's like when I wake up, I'm going to, oh, the next six weeks, I'm going to do a thousand push-ups and sit-ups and I'm going to eat all my vegetables. It lasts about seven minutes. I'm just not that guy. I want to be that guy. I really do. But if you're in the room and you haven't encountered the love of Jesus, I want to tell you he loves you. I want to tell you he died for you. I want to tell you that where the church and maybe believers and maybe preachers, parents have put things on you. Maybe even with good intent. As parents, sometimes with good intent, we try to call our kids to more, and we think the only way to do that is to by highlighting where they've fallen short. And I'm telling you, I've done it a thousand times. And every time I go back and say, oh God, please take my words off him. Let him live free of my words and let him live under your words. So I'm just a fallen father, but you're a glorious father. Can we stand this morning as we as we land. It's been a bit of a longer service. The gospel, the truth. And justification says, righteous. Not by your effort, not by your best day. We're going to want to get to heaven. Hey, God, did you see my highlights reel? Did you see my Instagram? Do you follow me on Instagram? And you realize I mean nothing. He'll just say, did you see my son? Jesus? Your brother? You see the sinless life he lived? You see the death he died? You can keep your Instagram reel. And the doctrine of justification keeps us there. It keeps us, it keeps us joyful. It keeps us secure. It keeps us thankful. It keeps us free. It keeps us hopeful. It keeps us obedient. Not arrogant. Ah, oh, he's done it. No, it keeps us here. If you're saying, I just want to grow in the wonder of grace this morning. I want to see Jesus more. I want to pray with you and I'm praying for myself. As I preach this, I realize I fall so far short. Will you lift your hands to him in an act of surrender, in a trust? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We worship you this morning, God. Our endeavor, our desire is not to have a greater knowledge of theology and doctrine, but to know you, to encounter you. That when our defaults of legalism and smallness break in, God, that the gospel would break over our thoughts, break over our hearts, open up our every parts to see you. Oh, Jesus, we want to see you. Spirit of God, we want to see you. Have your way in your people, I pray. I pray right now, even over those who've served for year after year after year, I pray where legalism exists in our hearts, you would rip it out. 
Why? Because it'll always be a throttle on the river of grace in our lives. Always. Come, Spirit of God. Show us, Jesus, the perfection of the cross that never fails. Show us, Jesus. For every person this morning, for those who maybe have said, I don't know if I could trust. I pray this morning that every heart would surrender to the love of Jesus. That every heart would realize that our greatest day would never be enough. Never. But his worst day was more than enough for everyone. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we love you. We worship, we worship, we worship. We love you, King. Love you, God.